Many of you know the last spring, uh, first week of April, spring break, uh, our family took a trip to New York, had a great time, saw all the sights, saw some shows, ate some great food, uh, just had an awesome trip <clears throat> uh, to New York. We were supposed to leave on Thursday. What we didn't know is that there have been major storms in the southeast, specifically in Atlanta. And Delta, which is the airline we were supposed to fly on, they had shut down operations for three hours that day, which, as you can imagine, created a backlog of traffic and getting planes in and out and connecting flights and all the stuff that happens when you have a three-hour shutdown of an airline. Well, we went to... um, We went... To the airport, had a leisurely ride over to the airport, had a, you know, taking our time, no idea what was about to happen. Our first sign that there was a problem is when we got to the airport and there were just people everywhere, people, car, more, more so than normal. Just the lobby was jam-packed and uh, because Delta had, had helped us with, with some of the, the trip, um, we were in the priority check-in line, which we were never in the priority check-in line. But this trip, we were in priority checking, and even it was backed up, which wasn't unusual to us. We didn't know any better. But as the people who were used to being in priority would walk up, they'd go, this is the line for priority? Why is the line so long for priority? And they were getting huffy, and we didn't know we were supposed to be mad because we'd never been in that line before. But anyway, it takes forever to get checked in, get through security, <clears throat> And get to the gate, which is crowded. But if you're like me, once you're to the gate, you kind of feel like, okay, we, we made it. The worst is behind us. We just got to get on this plane and we'll be home. So we'll just hang out for however long it takes. Well, we're supposed to fly out about 5 o'clock. Well, they delay our flight and um, two hours. And then they delay it two hours more. And it's getting more crowded and more crowded And around us are people, because we're all watching the Delta app on our phone, around us there are people who now are starting to complain because their flight got canceled. And I'm thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not you, because I'm going home tonight, and I don't want to be stuck here. And then some of you know what happened. About 9.30, guess what my app said? Your flight's been canceled. Um, So we get in line to to go to the counter to find out what we're going to do and and when we're going to get out. We get up to the counter. And she says, okay, let me see when I have availability, when I can get you on a plane. I, this is Thursday. I can get you on a plane Sunday. Like, Sunday? Like, this is Thursday. You forget today's Thursday. Uh, earliest I can get you on a plane is Sunday afternoon. Now, <clears throat> I kind of need to be back for Sundays. It's kind of in my job description. <laughs> I'm supposed to show up most Sundays. This was Palm Sunday. <clears throat> So I really needed to get back. My, my wife needed to get back, get ready. School was starting back the next week. My girls needed to get ready to go back to school the next week. And so um, she said, well, I can check on the train. You can transfer your plane ticket to the train. You ride the train back. I thought, well, that would be a cool way to end our vacation. We get on the train. She said, I can get you on the train Sunday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So we check rental cars. There's no rental cars available. They've all been rented. Um, train's not going to get us back any earlier. And then some of you, some of you travel for business, so this is no big thing to you. But then there's that realization of we're not getting out of here. I, we, there is nothing we can do but wait. 
No trains going back. No rental cars. There's not a plane that's going to get us back till Sunday. We are not going anywhere. We have those times in our life. We have those seasons in our life when we realize, I just got to wait. And most of us aren't good at waiting. Most of us aren't good at just holding on and being faithful and not having all the information. We're in a series called The Space in Between, if you weren't here last week. What we mean by the space in between is those seasons of our life when maybe we've left one season, but we haven't really arrived at the next season. Or <clears throat> we're in a period where we're wanting something to work out, but it hasn't worked out yet. We lost a job, but we haven't gotten that next job yet. We were betrayed. We're not ready to trust again. That in-between season of, of waiting. Like, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be either. I'm, I'm in the space in between. And sometimes in the space in between, you realize there's no planes and no trains and no rental cars. And I have to wait. And you have to make the decision. You have to make the decision, am I going to waste my waiting? Because that's, that's an option. You can always waste your waiting. You can always, through, through a series of different things, you can decide, I'm not going to grow, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to learn, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to become more than I am right now. I'm going to waste this season of waiting. We're stuck in New York for three days. It's, it's not just that we're stuck for three days. We're stuck in one of the most expensive cities in the world to be stuck in, right? And, and like the vacation fund is gone. Right. We landed in New York on a mission to spend every bit of the vacation fund, and we overachieved. Like by Thursday, vacation fund is gone, and we've got three more days. We're not getting out. So we downsized the vacation hotel. Wasn't quite as spacious as the one we had been in all week. We were kind of on top of each other. Uh, we walked the High Line, if you've been to New York, because it was free. Um, we went to the American Girl store because as long as you don't take anything out, it's free to walk in there. Right? We went to Saks Fifth Avenue because we knew we weren't buying anything in there. It's free to walk around Saks Fifth Avenue. We, uh, we've got discount tickets to a show. Uh, we had some friends who had been there earlier in the week, and they gave us their leftover tickets to Top of the Rock. So we went Top of the Rock for free. Um, we, we watched... Weird people ice skating um, uh, at the ice skating rink there at Rockefeller Center. We decided we're not getting out. But let's don't waste what we have. Let's don't waste the time that we have. There's a pizza place that we had been told about that we didn't get to earlier in the week. And so we went to the pizza place. I, I realized that life is different from being stuck in New York, right? Stuck in New York when you have a credit card. Right? It's, it's different it's harder, I, I get it, but sometimes in life, there's no plane out, there's no train out, there's no car out. You just got to keep walking. You got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how to not waste our waiting. I mean, how do you go through those seasons? Because you're going to, and I'm going to, and you're going to go through them multiple times. And every time you go through one of these seasons, we have to decide, am I going to waste this time? Or am I going to let God use this time? Because there are ways to waste your waiting. I want, to, I want to look at the story of a man in the New Testament. It's found in the book of John. John was a disciple of Jesus. 
which means he, he was with Jesus during his adult ministry. As Jesus was teaching and healing and, and sharing about the kingdom of God, this guy John was right beside him. So he heard everything Jesus had to say. He was an eyewitness to miracles. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' death on the cross. And John one day decides, I want to write the story of Jesus the way I saw it. And that's called the book of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, second part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they pass a man who's been waiting his whole life. The Bible tells us he's, he's blind, and he's been blind since birth, and he's sitting and he's waiting. He's waiting for somebody to pass by that can help him. He's waiting for somebody to pass by that will donate to him. Because if you were blind in the first century, your options were extremely limited. It's not like it is today. Your options were very limited in how you could support yourself. Mostly what you did was wait. In John chapter 9, Jesus intersects the waiting of this man. John chapter 9 verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a, bl a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work while I am in the world. I am the light of the world. So the disciples pass by this guy and they ask what would have been a common question. Um, who, who's being punished? Is it him? Did he do something wrong? Did his parents? In the first century, even some still today, there was this idea that good and bad had one-to-one -one correlations. In other words, if you did something bad, then you got something bad. If you did something good, you got something good. We might call it karma today. There's, that idea is still around, that there's always a one-to-one -one correlation between doing bad and receiving bad. And so the disciples asked what they thought was an obvious question. Who was it? Did this guy do something wrong? His parents do something wrong? And Jesus said, Nobody did anything wrong. This, he's not being punished for anything. This, this is not like getting back at him. Nobody did anything wrong. I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth, but, but he's sort of conveying the idea that not every bad thing that happens to us in life is punishment. Sometimes it's just life. So, sometimes it's just the ups and downs of living in a broken world, an imperfect world, a fallen world, that sometimes you're going to go through hard times and I'm going to go through hard times and nobody's getting punished by that hard time. So one of the ways you and I waste our waiting is to view everything as punishment. It's like every time something hard comes into our life to say, well, God, what are you doing? God, why are you punishing me? God, what did I do? I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. Well, maybe it's not punishment. Maybe it's just life. Maybe it's, maybe it's just what happens when you live in an imperfect world. Solomon said, it rains on the just and the unjust. Like good things come to bad people and bad things sometimes come to good people. It's called life. It's called living. And going through those times, constantly beating yourself up, because you think this is some form of punishment is not going to help you walk through those times in a healthy way. Now, let's be honest. 
There are consequences to our choices and decisions and actions. I mean, there are some times that we bring things on ourselves, but Jesus is really clear in John 9. That's not always the case. That's, that's not always the case. Now, if it is, well, let's face it. Right? Let's own it. Let's say, yeah, that, this is me. This is all, I've got to fix this. Like, I've got to look this in. I've got to address this in my life. <clears throat> So that things can go differently for me, but self-loathing, like self-condemnation, some of us are really good at that. Like some of us, we have a real talent for beating ourselves up, especially when we walk through disappointments and frustrations. And I love this story because Jesus said, no, it's not his fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's the fact that life is sometimes hard and life is not always fair. So maybe you're not being punished. <clears throat> if, if my family had sat in the airport on that Thursday and we had said, you know what, if we'd just flown out on Wednesday, this wouldn't happen. Like, why didn't we fly it on Wednesday? We are so stupid. Wednesday's the day to fly out. Like everybody knows, fly out on Wednesday. What were we thinking? How would that have helped the situation we were in? And it wouldn't. And oftentimes we walk through waiting and we're condemning ourselves and we're thinking, I must be being punished. I must have done something wrong. And God's going, no, that's not what this is about. I mean, Jesus reminds us that when we're in those times, the past really doesn't matter to what needs to happen now. I mean, yeah, if I need to fix some things, fix them. But Jesus is almost saying to his disciples, look, Whatever's happened in the past doesn't matter. What matters is we're here right now, and we could bring light and hope. Like, we could do good in this situation right now. That's what matters, not what got us here, not what's happened in the past, but what are we going to do right now in this moment when we view every difficult situation as some sort of punishment from God? We're going to waste our waiting Every time. Now, here's another way to waste your waiting. Fail to see a purpose in what you're going through. Fail to see a purpose, a meaning. <clears throat> I said last week that often when we trek through these times in our life, we don't get all the answers that we want. Like we're, we're tempted to ask, well, why did that happen? And why did that happen? And God, please explain. And I found God rarely explains when I'm in that period of waiting. Often a year later or two years or five years later, I look back on that and I go, okay, now I understand what God was doing. I see what God was doing. Very rarely do I make all the puzzle pieces fit when I'm in a season of waiting, but there is a difference in not seeing the precise meaning and believing that there's no meaning. Okay, those are two different things. I may not know exactly what the purpose of this is, but everything I go through, I know has purpose because I can waste my waiting. You can waste your waiting. God never wastes our waiting. Like God never wastes anything you go through or anything that I go through. I can refuse to listen. I can refuse to learn what God wants me to learn. But anything that you walk through, God wants to teach you something. Later in the New Testament, Paul's going to write, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Paul says, we know it. 
We don't always see it clearly, but we know whatever we walk through, God is using for our good and for His glory. Because you can waste your waiting, God is never ever going to waste our waiting. Next part of the conversation in verse 6, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And let me just say it for everybody. That just sounds gross, doesn't it? Right? I, mean, you know, I mean, you read the Bible and you think things, but you're not supposed to say them. I mean, this, he spits on the ground. That's just gross. And you read some commentaries and they'll say, well, first century people believe that saliva had medicinal qualities. To it. I don't care. It just sounds gross. Jesus healed people in a lot of different ways, right? Jesus just spoke it sometimes, right? He just said, be healed. He touched people. Sometimes he didn't say anything. Sometimes people touched him. He didn't even know they were touching him, and they got healed. There's all kinds of ways for Jesus to heal somebody. This guy spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it on the man's face. You know what we don't read? We don't read any complaints from this guy. You know He doesn't resist. He doesn't reject. He doesn't say, that's gross. Why you put your spit on my face? Here's one of the the most prevalent ways to waste your waiting. It's complaining through the waiting. Right? Grumbling through the waiting. Being negative, constantly negative through the waiting. Constantly bringing up, it's not fair, I'm so mad, it's their fault, why is this happening, I can't believe. One of the most prominent ways to waste your waiting is to just keep complaining about it. You know, what you, you know who you have never met in your whole life? You have never met the person who complained and complained and complained and then magically became a nice person. Like they just complained for years of their life and then one day they were this wonderful person. All that complaining just transformed them into this wonderfully patient, wonderful person. You've never met that person because that person does not exist. You know what complaining does? It, it infects our heart. It infects our thinking. It, it infects our relationships. And yeah, listen, whatever you're going, I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I've been through. I know those seasons are hard, but you want to know how to make them harder? Continue to be negative all the way through. Continue to complain all the way through. James writes a book uh, later on in the New Testament. This is from James chapter 5. He writes, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. He uses that farmer analogy. We we used it last week. There's a farmer. He's planted, and he waits, and he waits, and there's no sign of growth, and he's waiting on the rain. There's nothing he can do. Like There's no planes. There's no trains. There's no rental cars. He's just waiting and waiting and waiting and James says, look, you be like that. You stand firm. You be patient and don't crumble. Don't complain. 
Don't be negative. Don't become cynical. Don't let your circumstances, this season of your life, don't let it begin to twist who you are and the way that you look at the world and even the way you view God because you've become so negative. We talked about the proverb last week that said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And one of the contributing factors to that heart sickness is is a negative attitude. Like the more I speak negativity, the more I complain, the more I grumble, the more quickly my heart gets sick in these periods, in this waiting, complaining. One of the quickest ways to waste your waiting. Another way, disobedience. Disobedience. Jesus spits on the ground. He puts mud on the guy's eyes and he says, go and wash. Scripture says, so the man went and washed. So the man went and washed. He's still waiting. He's still blind. Like he's still in, in the space in between. Like nothing has changed. His life hasn't worked out. Life isn't all of a sudden rosy. But Jesus said, go wash. And the man went and washed. I feel like in the waiting periods of our life, especially those frustrating ones, in those frustrating seasons of our life, we are tempted to turn away from, from God. Like we're tempted to move towards disobedience. Like we're tempted to say things like, well, why should I keep praying? Why should I keep going to church? Like, why should, like, none of this matters. Like, I'm still stuck here. Like, I'm still in this. Ah, disobedience will make you waste your waiting. Because God is doing something in that waiting, and He wants you to keep your eyes on Him. My wife and I have been through seasons like this, just like you have. Frustrating times, times we didn't understand, times that we wish would just be over. One of the things that kept us from wasting our waiting through disobedience is because we had three kids who were watching how mom and dad handled these seasons of their life. And we have three kids that as mom and dad are struggling, as we don't understand, as we get frustrated, as we've been disappointed, there's, there's, there's six eyes that are watching. How, what does mom and dad really believe about God? Like, do they just believe about God when everything's going great? Like, when, when dad's got an audience, is he like, yay, God, but like when the audience is gone, is dad somebody else? Like, do they really trust God? And my wife and I determined that we wanted to walk through these seasons of life and come out on the other side with our kids knowing even more, mom and dad trust God. And mom and dad are committed to God's people. Because listen, it's tempting when you walk through the periods of waiting, it's, it's, it's tempting to disappear spiritually. Because because you feel punished, because you feel abandoned. Well, why should I keep going to church? Why should I keep praying? But I'm going to tell you, you're going to waste your waiting. If you turn away from God, if you turn away from God's people, if you turn away from what God's doing on the inside of you, and there are people watching you, mom and dad, grandparents. there, There are kids that are finding out whether you really trust God when you walk through these seasons. Because listen, the only way to know you trust God is if you obey God. I mean, if you want to know whether you trust Jesus or not, just answer the question, do I obey Jesus? Because if I don't obey Jesus, I don't trust Jesus. Your kids want to know, is this real to you? 
Like, is Jesus real to you? Not just when we're paying the bills and, and we're meeting the mortgage and we got the raise. Not just then. Our kids want to know, is this real when life is hard? Like, do mom and dad depend on God when life is difficult? Disobedience cause you to waste your waiting. <clears throat> Next thing, passive resignation. The I'm just going to sit here mentality. It's just, I guess I'm just stuck here forever. I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm never going to get out of this. The blind man in, in the story, Jesus is going to heal this guy. Like the blind man couldn't heal himself. And yet, the blind man had to go and wash in order to be healed. Like there was a place he had to go. There were steps he had to take. There was something he had to do. And when you're in a season of waiting, there's something for you to do. There's steps for you to take. There's a direction for you to begin to move. Last week we said that we can't affect the outcome always when we're in the space in between, but we can control us. Like we don't know when it's going to come. We don't know when we're going to get out of this. But what I can control are the steps that I take while I'm in the middle of it. Amen. What has God called me to do in the space in between? Because he hasn't called you to stay there. The, gr the great thing about God is he not only brings us to the space in between, he brings us through the space in between. Like his objective is not, I'm just going to bring you to the waiting and leave you there. God brought us to the waiting to bring us through the waiting. Amen. He's got something on the other side. He's got a new direction that he's waiting to unveil to us in his timing. One of the, one of the best known parts of the Bible is a, a poem, a prayer by David, Psalm 23. And one part in that Psalm, David writes... Even though I walk through the darkest valley, that's the NIV translation. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, some earlier translations say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You probably know that phrase. Doesn't matter how, which translation you use, all of them say, when I walk through the valley. Not when I walk to the valley, not when I camp in the valley. David knew thousands of years ago, look, we come to these times in our life and God brings us through. So what I've got to do is keep walking. I've got to keep trusting. I've got to keep moving towards him and, and the direction that I believe he's calling me. Because he doesn't just bring us to the valley, he brings us through the valley. One last way that we waste our waiting is when we come through the valley... We come to the other side and then we forget what Jesus did for us in the valley. You read the rest of chapter 9 and you find one circumstance after the other where this blind man is telling people, you won't believe what Jesus did for me. Like I was waiting, like I was blind, I can see. It was Jesus. He's the one who did it. The religious leaders don't want Jesus to get any credit, so they're interrogating the blind man. They're interrogating his parents. Uh, and, and the whole time he's going like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know I was blind. I can see it was Jesus. He's the guy who did it. I, I'm just telling you, he changed my life. You get to the end of John chapter 9, he's at Jesus' feet. He's worshiping Jesus. This was somebody who didn't forget what Jesus did for him in the waiting. You can waste your waiting if you come out on the other side 
and you don't take time to remember what he did when you were in the middle of it. Don't waste your waiting. Now, all of us are, are tempted toward different, different ways of wasting. What's yours? Like when life gets hard, when life gets heavy and frustrating, where are you most tempted to waste your waiting? Because here's what I can promise you. God, never waste our waiting. Only we can do that. God has meaning and purpose and growth and strength that He wants to show you and provide for you if you just won't waste this time of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are with us in the waiting. Sometimes we go through short periods of waiting and come out quickly. And sometimes it's, it's months, sometimes it's years, sometimes it's whole seasons of our life when we, we don't understand and we're frustrated. But God, you are in even those. God, help us. Help us to follow you to live for you, to believe in you, to trust you and obey you, even in the seasons of waiting. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.